0: Hello, and welcome to another podcast of Redemption Tempe. My name's Greg. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am joined once again by my friend and my co-host, AC. What's up, man? What's up, Greg? Yo, we are getting close to the end of Jonah. Uh, today, we're going to be in chapter four. Is that right? Yes, sir. All right. Tell us a little bit more about chapter four and then how that ties into our podcast stories for today. Yeah, absolutely. Jonah four is is a very fascinating chapter because Jonah was faithful in extending God's gracious invitation to Nineveh. Nineveh responded to it and God showed grace. Jonah, who we know from the beginning is not too fond of the Ninevites, was not very happy with this. And so he throws a temper tantrum outside the city. And in the midst of this, God says something to Jonah. He says to Jonah, you know, shall God not love that great city? Talking about Nineveh. And so the heart of God is to look at this city and to love it and love the people that are there and be willing to, as we see later on, go on the cross to save these people. And so today we're going to hear stories from people who share the same heartbeat as God in the sense of loving the people in a particular city and loving the place that they're in. And so that's what we're going to hear today. Awesome. All right. Well, let's listen to them.
1: Hi there. I am Rochelle Gariel, and I've been going to Redemption with my husband, Eric, since uh, for about eight years now, I would say.
2: And uh, we were asked to tell our story of uh, when we started Bowlers on Broadway, which was...
1: Uh, we opened there in January of 2007.
2: At the time, uh, I was working for On the Border Restaurant. I'd been there for about a decade, and Rochelle was working at a church. And we decided that we wanted to kind of follow what I think was probably my dream of opening a restaurant.
1: Definitely his dream.
2: And uh, part of the story that we were talking about earlier is, you know, was it a... Was it us answering God's call or was it just something we wanted to do? And it was definitely a commercial endeavor. We wanted to follow a career dream and make some money. And, uh, you know, this is before the Food Network, but maybe we were going to be the next Food Network. And uh, we we set out with how are we going to pay for everything. So I quit my job and uh, we had to live off of whatever Rochelle was going to make. At that time, uh, she was uh, at a church. We were going to a church and she heard that they needed somebody for children's ministry. And I told her, I go, well, why don't you apply for the job? I had had
1: a job doing that in in the past. It wasn't just like a pipe dream to be a children's director either.
2: I pointed out to her that if you're going to uh, get a job, you're going to have to tell somebody you want the job, introduce yourself and maybe apply. And uh, they're not just going to walk up to you and offer you the job, but if of course, that that's not the way it played out.
1: Uh, so we went to like their members meeting at our church um, that following weekend. I think it was actually the next day. And we were in the meeting and the pastor's wife walks up to me and she's like, oh, hey, you're Rochelle Gariel. Uh, we're hiring for the children's director position here at our church. Uh, would you like the job? And Eric and I just stared at each other in disbelief.
2: It was... Well, it wasn't even disbelief. It was me Upset that I was wrong and she was right. (laughs) Let's be honest here; like, uh, it wasn't supposed to play out that way in the real world. Um, So, kind of continuing along, uh, you know, we we start the process of leaving the job that I was at and uh, you know trying to open up the the new restaurant. And she's doing the interview for the new job. And before she walks in, Michelle asked me, "She's like, how much money do we we need to make? Like, if they offer me." $10 $10 an hour, $20,000 a year, whatever it is. I'm like, well, we need to live off $40,000 a year. We had gotten rid of all the bills in our lives. We're going to live super cheap like an entrepreneur does. We need $40,000. She goes into the interview and uh, calls me up afterwards. I was sitting at a uh, a discount tire place. A, well, I think it's a important too
1: that he told me that's what we need to make, but he said take the job no matter what. Like if this is what God's calling us to do, just take it.
2: Yeah, and uh, – I'm sitting there on the stairs of this uh, kind of ghetto tire shop and Rochelle calls me up and tells me they, they offer her $40,000 a year, which is what we needed. Yeah. So it's it just you know, getting pushed more and more towards what we wanted to do and more and more doors opening up uh, so it could become possible. And uh, you know, part, of the, part of the story that we had uh, told Greg earlier about how we even got to why, why that location is I had worked there in college as a pizza cook. So I knew the previous owner and I'd run into him at a Christmas party and he kind of helped me get the process. You know, I showed him my business plan. He told me it was terrible. And then he showed me how I could buy the building from him with virtually no money because, you know, as a restaurant guy, I wasn't well-heeled in cash. And, uh, you know, so it was going from me to pizza cook at a location 10, 12 years prior when I was a college student to now we're going to own the dirt, we're going to own the building and then we're going to start a business there.
1: Yeah. So uh, yeah. So we opened Boulders. Um, it was January of two thousand seven. We, I had never been in the back of the building. All of a sudden, we own this building. That was pretty ghetto. It's st- still, is a little ghetto fabulous, as I'd like to call 1960s it. Nineteen sixties construction, <laughs>
2: solid, but it's beat up after yeah. all those years.
1: Yeah. So we um, opened up there, and the first, the start of it was just. I mean, we could be here for hours telling opening stories and this and that, but. We opened Boulders, and it was definitely a financial struggle for us. Um, as the years, you know, we had been married for a year and a half. If you want to test your marriage, you should definitely open a business together uh, in less than two years of marriage. Um, you learn a lot about each other quick. But as time went on, Wait, we you just... you say you don't like working with me? Oh, well, he's a great... He's a peach yeah. to work with. Um, but uh, we... We had a really hard time, um, and finances started to get really rough, and we weren't making ends meet, and we're literally at this point living off um, my salary.
2: Well, it's interesting, you know. You, you look at what uh, everything on TV right now is opening up a restaurant, and like this this kind of idea of how to open a restaurant is out there, and it's so glamorous and so cool. And, and we get there, and we have no money, so like to paint the walls, we're like. We can't buy any flipping paint, like yeah. so. If we buy the paint, don't mess up because we can't buy more paint. If you spill it, you know we're hosed. What are we gonna do? And you know, I, I could do everything, and I knew everything. Like I'd been restauranting for over a decade, and before that, I was, I was a restaurant guy in, in high school, and as a cook, and I'd done everything. That's all I knew. So I thought I had it all under control, but we didn't. You know, we're doing everything we possibly could to try and build it, build up the building and whatnot, but we just couldn't do it ourselves. And so, uh, probably a month in. I think maybe a month in, all the employees walked out on me. Basically, the walk-in cooler went down. And I told the, the cooks who had been there as Old Chicago, I'm like, because we had decided to keep all the former employees, that was part of the, the business deal, honestly. We promised we'd keep all the former employees. One of the hardest decisions of our life because they hated us. And uh, so I tell the cooks, I'm like, listen, you have to get all that food on ice. We got to chill it. We can't throw it away. It's going to be dangerous. You're going to make somebody sick. But they didn't do it. And so I went back and I raised my voice to them and they all literally just dropped their aprons and walked out. So now I'm the only cook and I promoted the dishwasher to be a cook. So it's me and a dishwasher and Rochelle. And then we had two other guys that we had hired to be managers with us. Um, but I'm the only one that knows the the menu or recipes or anything. Well, a couple days go by of us trying to make this work. And we, we had some decent business for lunch at that point. And I got really sick to a point where I couldn't stand up. I was just trash I'm, I'm sitting there on like a pickle bucket or something waiting for tickets to come in and I don't know did you call everybody yeah or?
1: so we at that point it was like this is not working like we are not making it it was so humbling because I woke up that morning and eric's you know shaking with 103 fever and I'm like we need to a- call someone like who do you call and we had this um for our church rc but back then it was just like our young marrieds bible study group and people from our church from the church uh, we had gone to previously that i wasn't even on staff at anymore and i called them and i was just like guys were i was like we're not okay like we need help and like The most humbling part of that day was us standing back in that kitchen and all these people from our life um, for years just walk in with like work clothes on and paint brushes and water and like Eric and I just stood in the kitchen like tears streaming down our faces because we're like, man, this is like the bottom. Like Eric's sitting on a pickle bucket shivering and now we're both like teary, but it was just like God's...
2: well, There were no tears. Okay. He doesn't cry. There there were no tears. He just had something
1: in his eye. Um, But that for me was also a moment of like god saying like hey you did this business venture but like i'm gonna get you through it with the people that that have loved you and have walked in life with you and it and- was just
2: church people so it was you know our life group people but then it was like the area director from the company i used to work for. yeah it was, it was just people that uh, were general managers it was just random friends like a like
1: we send out the SOS and like pastor every pastor of a church came. Yeah, everybody. like everybody from our life at some point that had touched our life at some point, they came up behind us. And for us, that was community. Like that's when I think Boulders for us switched from a business venture to like, this is how we're going to do life. And this is how we're going to, um, like this is what God is calling us to in a sense of like these people administered into our life. So now that that's happened to us, what are we going to do? Um, And in that year, we ended up, losing our house that we were living in in phoenix it was a beautiful new build you know but we couldn't make ends meet so we're giving it back to the bank as a short sell and um cashing out all of our retirement to try to make this happen knowing like he's called us to this and we're kind of stuck too because we're on the property (laughs) Um, (laughs) there's no you don't back up then yeah (laughs) um but to us moving into our neighborhood which i think Initially, we were just like, hey, we're going to live in our awesome, beautiful house in Phoenix and it's going to be great. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're in a position of like ends not making making ends meet isn't happening. You know, Eric's working other side jobs, which is another whole nother story. But, you know, us trying to make it work and it coming down to his Eric's brother yeah, buying so a house. My family's
2: not tight. Like, I mean, we were good. Like they're in Wisconsin. We had talking talk and whatnot. But like. I think I've hugged my brother once in my life, possibly. It might have been in a wrestling bear hug. like We might have actually been competing at the time. So he kind of called up. He's like, hey, I'm looking for investments. I made some money. I want to buy some property in Phoenix. And then maybe when my girls go to college, they weren't even near college age at that point, they can live it in or something like that. I'm like, well, I need a house to live in. He goes, yeah. How about I buy it? You live in it. And then just rent it for me. Like I don't have to make any money on the rent or anything. And we'll kind of go from there. So we searched through Tempe. We found a bank-owned property um, that was, like, covered with this huge mesquite. You couldn't even see it. Like, we were next to it. with The realtor and I couldn't even see it. And I'm like, "What? what is that over there? Is that a sign underneath that bush? And so we look at it, and there was this whole remodel process. Like, homeless people were living in it. Uh, it had, like, mold, and we had to tear out walls. But, again, we have no money. So I quickly learned contracting And at this point, we
1: have a five-month-old as well. So um, I cried a lot because there was mold and— I was like, this is not it, Eric. This <laughs> she, is not she it. She didn't see the vision at first. This is not <laughs> it. This is a stupid idea, you know.
2: There's water leaking through the wall when we bought it.
1: But that's our house now. Like, that's our neighborhood, and that has developed into us living where we are with our business and with our um, family and really taking what was a business venture to now like has become a part of who we are as a family, and I think our kids understand that. of a broken place we came to the home that we're in I would say
2: yeah we I mean it started with no choice you start as a career and then we're we realize we're stuck once you gave up everything to do it and you know for me when it stopped being a business venture is like that moment where I'm like I can't do this like people had to help me and we're doing everything right like buy the books, like textbook restauranting, marketing, financial management. My friend Justin Garbinski and I, we would sit down and like, because he opened a restaurant at the same time and we'd like look at numbers like, you do what? You do this, this, and this? Like, yeah, it's awesome. If I I don't do any of that stuff. Like we're just kind of in and out of money and, and you know, we're fixing it up. And so it was like these conversations like, yeah, but it's not working still. And then when we kind of gave in, we're like the, kind of a God moment of like quit all the jobs I had because I had like. Five jobs at that point. I, I didn't sleep.
1: Your body Some also shuts really cool down jobs. after like three months of only sleeping, like two hours. Your body's like, hey, that's not, this is not successful living, you know? So I was like,
2: you say that you're, you're faithful to it. You believe that God's got your back here. But you have all these jobs. I'm like, yeah, but wife, we need money. So clearly what you're saying is, is nuts. But I can't keep doing it. So I quit the jobs. That month was the first profit we made.
1: We made $1. One dollar. It's profit. <laughs> and everyone's like, you should frame it. And I was like, no, that I needs admit. needs to go in the bank. Like we got lights to turn on and, and the dollar's not gonna do it. But that was
2: a turning point, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: That was like the year that when we just laid it all down. Like, you know, you try and, and Eric wasn't doing anything wrong and like trying to make ends meet. Like that's that was it was good. But sometimes you just have to be like, God, this is where we're at and um we are going to trust you. Are going to do it? And he showed us that that was the case. Um,
2: well, and, and it became the community. You know, we we came from like Phoenix and all these other parts of the valley where we lived, and then now you have this restaurant in Tempe where literally you see the same people every day. It was so slow on Friday nights that the bartender and I would just sit there and play darts. There's nobody walking in, and then people would walk in. And we're like, hey, and they're hey, like you want a beer? Like we do. You want to play darts? Okay. And so we're playing darts with the only customers in the building on a Friday night in this 10,000 square foot building and it kind of grew from there to pretty soon we had to move the dartboard because we had to actually bartend and and work and it started to pick up and the same people are coming in over and over again. I can tell you like all the metrics now of like how many regulars we have and how frequently they come in versus like other restaurants and what the norm is and it's just astronomical. Um, So it kind of became like our home and community and then it started like intermixing, uh, you know, like, are we doing this as a job or is this our lifestyle? What's going on? I mean, Michelle was talking uh, earlier about when the church that we used to go to closed and they used that as their their building and met there. And so now you have your staff and the church you go to in the same place at 10 a.m. on a Sunday. And then all the homeless guys from the park coming over and hanging out. And pretty soon we knew all these homeless guys and we we employed at least three of them like W two employees, which was a really bizarro hard affair. One of the guys, uh, Jack, he would he would earn some money and they would come and drink at the bar. I'm like, all right, Jack, we'll see you later. He's like, um, yeah, can I just clean up in your bathroom real quick? I'm like, yeah, is there everything alright? He's like, yeah, I just I sleep in the park. I'm like what? He's like, yeah, I don't have a home. And he was like a twenty something dude. Uh, you sleep in the park? Said, yeah, I'm I'm homeless. Well, it was really cold that winter. I'm like, listen, I have—it's not much. I have storage space in back. It sounds crazy. He's like, "I'll take it." So he—he's sleeping in the back of the restaurant. As a husband, you should write this down. I forgot to tell Rochelle.
1: So I'm closing uh, the restaurant that night, and um, Jack walks back in the kitchen, which he would do often. But I'm checking out the bartender and like doing his—not checking out the bartender, but like doing the their money for the day. <laughs> So I'm back there with the bartender doing his um, finances for the night, like getting his tickets in order and everything. And Jack walks into the kitchen and he then just was like, well, good night, Ro. And then he walks out the back door. Everybody calls me Ro at Boulder. So that's me um, and everywhere, I guess. But uh, walks out that back door and goes and gets in this closet on this booth. And I'm like standing there like, what is he doing? Why? So I call Eric. I'm like, Eric, Jack. Jack just went and lay down in the back. Like, he goes, oh, babe, I told him he could live there. And I'm like, things you should tell me, you know, that this guy that we knew. But, like, you know, you'd come in in the morning and it was cold. And so Jack just, like, slept in this back area.
2: And we tried to employ him so he could earn some money and get on his feet. And we're like, hey, do you want to wash dishes or this? That? He's like, honestly, I really like you guys, but I'm a terrible employee. I'm really lazy. I don't work very hard. I, I just don't want to let you down. I'm like, listen, we'll just give it a shot. And after, like, a couple of days, like, yeah, you, you are a terrible employee. Like, you're not good at this at all. And so he earned a little bit of money. Then he went and eventually he got on his feet and he went and lived at an apartment complex and worked there to earn some money. But there's, like, little stories like that, like, just the community kept building. And, uh, you know, we just got more and more involved. And Once we started actually having income, we'd start doing, like, cooking classes or a lot of stuff that people know boulders for now, getting involved at the the school and the neighborhoods and whatnot. Now at this point, most of my joy is from doing the stuff in the community where we're at. Mm-hmm. Um, with that backstory, like it keeps you humble, um, and I, I'd still like it to be a commercial endeavor and a career because I need it to be. But I mean, that's really where the the community side of like, hey, we're in Tempe, we're part of Tempe, we want to do this to a point. We're actually very personal, and people don't see that; they see us just as a restaurant. And we're like bikes. Beer, bold, like those are the – and they all happen to start with B.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe we can rap. No. If this no. restaurant thing doesn't work.
1: No, it's definitely not going to happen.
2: And so, I mean, that's kind of like the, the hook of the story is like it started out as as, as a job and a career and uh, because it, it broke down to we have to survive. Everybody had to help us out. We had all these what we consider like definite God moments.
1: Yeah. And I think now for us, you know, even where we live and in our house um, – the year we moved into our house was a really broken year, especially for me. We had a five month old. Uh, we were working a lot, um, not spending as much time together as a family and this and that. But remember that first year we were in our house for Halloween and we just like looked at each other and we're like, hey, this is where we're at right now. Like we don't have much to give. We don't. But God's put us in our house and our neighborhood and We live over – now where our kids go to school at Broadmoor um, and everybody was like, that's an amazing school. I'm like, I have like a one-year-old. Like I don't – I haven't even thought about what school my kid's going to go to. And I don't even know if I'm going to live in this dump again or again any longer after, you know, this. Like hopefully we'll move. But there was a realization in that year where it was like, God, you've put us here and so we're going to just give whatever it is that we can give to this – to this place that you've put us. And so that was the first year we threw a Halloween party. Josiah doesn't remember it. He was dressed like a monkey. There
2: are virtually no kids that live in the neighborhood. Yeah,
1: there. like Josiah was the only kid and he didn't even walk yet. Um,
2: Most people drove through the neighborhood.
1: Yeah. So we, that was the first year we did our Halloween party and it was mostly our friends. Most of them didn't have children. Uh, a bunch of our regulars and friends from Boulders would come, you know. And then there was a turning point where, like as years went on, Those people didn't come anymore because they're like, there's so many kids here. Like kids started moving into our neighborhood and we just consistently kept doing that that party and this year we'll
2: yeah, be the year you did that huge bounce house and there's like little like three-year-olds like bouncing out into the street and we're just, like, like we need to rethink this like you know? know what to do it's total yeah. anarchy
1: but it was like that year we started it it was probably like 30 people and we just were like god we're gonna keep doing this because we're gonna try and reach out to our neighborhood and and be a part of where you've put us in We still do that party. We don't do the bounce house anymore because we noticed the risk involved. But um, because people would be like, hey, we come to your party every year because now our party is like 120 – plus people walk through it to add
2: some tables out in our driveway with like some cider and chili on it
1: yeah and now it's to the point where like we shut down our road and with a city and people will be like hey we're here for your party we come every year i'm like i have no idea who you are but i'm so i'm so glad you're here you know and and for us it started in a place where like we couldn't afford the chili and we couldn't afford the cider and we just were like potlucking it To now that God's put us in a position that we can, you know, continually do this and I hope it doesn't end just, you know, with a Halloween party or how, you know, that we can continue to be a light in a place um, where we're at and where we're living and um, even opening up Cortiere, um, our newest restaurant, our fourth one, uh, half a mile from us. Is that Um, a shameless plug? It was a shameless plug. I'm there 40 hours a week. my wife right there. Always working. If you want to visit me, Um, you know, just we could tell stories for, for hours about how God has put us in each of our four locations, but he's put us in our neighborhood. He's put us in our business and what became, what started as a business venture has now rolled over into how we want our kids to live. And every year when we threw a Halloween party... I used to be so stressed out about making this perfect thing and, you know, it has to have this, this, and this. And, like, there was a realization probably about four years ago where I was like, our kids need to understand why we do this. Like, this isn't just a party. And so we close the doors, even though there's people outside, you know, getting ready to to have a great time. Um, and we just pray with our kids and we pray for our neighborhood because when it comes down to it, um, that's what it's all about. It's, it's how you love the people where you're at Even in your brokenness, even when we didn't have the resources, um,
2: and we're we're probably not great evangelists. Like we're not out there like Bible thumping very often or or quoting scripture. It's it's more uh, the ministry to us more bringing people together, and then hopefully those people can kind of feed off one another and meet one another, and you know maybe there'll be talks of of Jesus or or getting saved at some point. Um, I mean, we've had some one-on-one interactions that have come up over the years, which is very gratifying. I mean, to me, it's more of a, a gift from God when he lets me talk to somebody about Jesus, um, not me giving back to God necessarily. I don't really see that as being a thing. But, uh, you know, you get together, you know, these professors, you get together these people that are from, like, the, the, the rougher parts of Tempe, um, you know, some of the, the people that work at the school, different kids, kids that have no business interacting suddenly all in this, this neighborhood, hanging out in a bounce house together or throwing water balloons in October at each other, uh, only in Phoenix, I guess. And, and that kind of is, is how we see the ministry of it. You know, we talk about all of life, all for Jesus type interviews at, at church. And, uh, I always thought, I'm like, yeah, I would never have any business up there. Cause I don't really feel like I can articulate why what I do is all for Jesus. Um, and then fast forward a couple of years and I'm like, yeah, I guess there is is there there is a mystery here because all we do is serve people in our in our jobs, which is translated into our, our, our home, and just riding to, to school today, the neighbors that just moved in, the two professors.
1: Eric rides up like Mr. Rogers, and I was like, babe, I need to get you a cardigan because he went up and talked to the guy. Hey, he neighbor. like goes on, yeah, and he's like, hey, neighbor, and then he's like, welcome to the neighborhood. And so I, I'm not going to sing it, but you can all sing the Mr. Rogers song in your head. You know, like, it's changed. Like, our perspective has changed, and why... Why we are I'm so we are. not
2: American? I don't know the song.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you about it later. But I think there's sorry we've talked so much. But one one moment in my I mean there's lots of moments, but one that sticks out in my head um, when I realized that God was like, "Hey, Rochelle, this is what I've called you to." Was the year that, um, but the the year that we had um, our church started. The church that I was working at, they took me up on that offer, you know, for us to have church at Boulders, which seemed – and a lot of people laughed because they're like, we can't have church in a bar. I'm like, yeah, it seems a little unconventional. But, you know, at that point
2: – Not the customers. They thought it was funny.
1: Yeah, they're – you know, they, they – I'm did. drinking
2: a beer and they're singing gospel. This is maybe, maybe that
1: Maybe I'm, I'm going to be okay after all, you know. But um, we are st- – We're standing, you know, and I'm the children's director, so I have gotten all the kids settled up in the upstairs. If you've been to Boulders, there's this upstairs area with like a staircase, which is not kid friendly, and, you know, banisters. And we've put in plexiglass so kids can't like slide through. And there's pool tables, which we found like half a dozen cars in there, you know, on Monday morning. So many Cheerios. So, So many Cheerios. I mean, it just. Got that the kids all settled and I walk down the stairs and I greet my employees that work for us and like, hey, you can get all set up. Don't worry. It's almost over. And I'm standing in the bar and um, our friend Montana is leading worship and it just hits me that God's called us to this business and he's called the, called me to ministry and, and the job I was in at that time. And it was like our worlds collided and he's like, this is what I've called you to, like always. You know, how you do business and how you live your life is always about me.
2: There was one of those same Sundays. I get a phone call from the manager that was working. And uh, so we had church that morning. It's ending. And then we had a couple of other groups that met there that night. We had the fascists of Arizona. (laughs) We had the anarchists of Arizona. and And the atheists of Arizona. So all three of those groups were meeting in different areas of boulders at the same time on a Sunday night right after having church there. And the manager called up. He's like, hey, uh, th- we have this one group that's starting to, like, kind of cause some some trouble. Uh, what do you want me to do? I'm like, well, I mean, you're going to have to ask them to leave. He goes, yeah, well, it's, it's the fascists of Arizona. They're all, like, six foot, no hair, and they can probably kill me. And I'm like, really? Like, what are they fighting about? It, it was They were actually mad at the atheists and the anarchists for some other reason. And I'm like, wait a minute, anarchists? Like, yeah, they meet here every Sunday. I'm like, but they're anarchists. There's no way they can't have that, that organized. It can't be a real thing. <laughs> and I'm like, are they fighting about like anarchy and fascism and atheism or something? I'm like, no, it's, it has nothing to do with that. It was just like this weird thing of like all these worlds colliding. Um, and actually, it turns out I, I know people from those groups today. They still meet there mm-hmm. um, to that day. I mean, just kind of a, a rabbit hole on that, that you see all these worlds come together. When you're hanging out at a bar in Tempe, it seems to happen more often than not. Yeah. Hi,
3: we're the Shanks. Uh, my name is Travis, and this is my wife Reba, and we just we have two kids, uh, Zion and Nora. Uh, we've been here at Redemption for a little over two years, and just want to tell you a little story about ourselves and where what we've the journey we've been on, and how God has really just uh, uh, kind of captured our hearts to to love our neighbor, and what that has meant over the the last few years. Actually,
4: I think one of the things for us is that over the years we've had to actually re- learn what loving our neighbor means in different contexts. So a little backstory about us. Uh, After we were married, we actually lived in Miami, Florida, and um, there we um, went to grad school shortly after we got married. I was pretty young. I think I was 21 at the time, which I was a little bit older than me. Um, And there we were kind of in a cross-cultural context, living in a predominantly Haitian neighborhood and just were really blessed by uh, opportunities to love our neighbor there, but ultimately um, by how loved we were by our neighbors there when we didn't have any family. We had very little money and resources. Um, And so um, after that time, we actually moved back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where we're from. And um, we just felt like God was calling us into ministry and urban ministry specifically. So we moved into an urban neighborhood. And I think in my mind, that's what I defined loving your neighbor as this huge step of um, stepping out into something kind of extreme and loving your neighbor incarnationally by um, being in that urban environment. And and it was a challenging neighborhood. Many of my friends actually that grew up in the suburbs with me wouldn't even come to visit us there. So it was kind of known, had this reputation for being um, dangerous and and just a tough and rough environment. Uh, But we moved there with our kids and lived in that community. And Travis was actually in full-time ministry there. And so we ran an after-school program, a coffee shop, community garden, among other things. And so um, we just really sought to love every neighbor we could see as much as we possibly could. And it actually was really hard. Um, I think it ended up taking a toll on on us um, because I think we were overextending ourselves, thinking that everything we saw was our responsibility. Um, and so uh, it was a great learning time. Um, and we were so blessed through that time as well, just the relationships that we had and built there. Um, and even through the hard times, I mean, there was times where I was literally running through the the street with my kids to avoid a drive by shooting and different things like that. And I think in our hearts and minds, that's really what loving our neighbor looked like. And so I really thought that uh, we were doing the right thing. And that's what loving our neighbor meant. And so fast forward, um, we ended up for a variety of reasons, moving out of that context into another neighborhood in Pittsburgh. And I think at that point in time, I felt kind of lost. Like, God, uh, how do I love my neighbor now? I've done this thing, done urban ministry. um, And I feel like everything I do in terms of loving people is going to pale in comparison. And uh, I just feel like uh, maybe I'm not going to be able to fully live out that call to love your neighbor. And so I felt pretty confused about that. Um, and a little confused at that time, even about like what God was calling us to, to next in that new season, in that new neighborhood where we were.
3: So yeah, we, we bought a house in this, um, cute, neighborhood and it was an old neighborhood in in pittsburgh and the house needed needed some work and so uh which we love we love doing that kind of stuff restoring and we um found ourselves living next to some uh, elderly neighbors and one in particular his name is Nick and he and his wife lived there uh, when we first moved in and she was um, she had Alzheimer's and had some other uh, health issues and in fact very shortly after we moved there she passed away we got to know know Nick through through that time um, he, he was funny funny guy we um, we had a little square planter um, we planted uh, some tomatoes and some other other vegetables and we we'd come home and we find our tomatoes missing but typically Nick would leave a, a note that said hey thanks for the tomatoes or something <laughs> we like We never
4: that. offered him the tomatoes <laughs> but
3: and um, and so we we're like man what's what's with this guy and um, but as we really developed a relationship with him we found that he was, he gave more than he than he took <laughs> he, he would uh, deliver boxes of chocolates for the girls and um, and even um, made his own wine uh, and he would bring his bottles of wine um,
4: except you had to drink it in like a shot glass yeah, because it's always, po- very potent wine yeah. and,
3: and Nick was Nick was from from Italy and so um, he he would always say you know in Italian very uh, just a little just a little and um, uh, but anyway he he was just a good a really good Good, great man, um, and and I think that's where kind of God grabbed my heart um, for Nick um, and his situation. And I, I'm used to to. Um, really working with um, people my age or younger people and here was this almost 90 year old man um, that God had me uh, come into a relationship with and um, in fact after his wife passed he, he became very lonely and we would just we would just hang out for for hours on end. Um, Nick never retired as a plumber. <laughs> He was a plumber a, a for all of his life and never retired. And as we worked on projects, um, he would come over and give his expertise. And one day um, we had a, an issue with our tub and he spent the better part of six hours, um, this 90-year-old man, over our tub, manual labor, um, fixing our tub. It was it was amazing. I, I just I couldn't believe the energy that he still had. And I think that's that's what it was for us at that point in time. It was um, kind of a, a rekindling of the joy of just simple obedience to God and, and saying, you know, you don't you don't have to sacrifice your family. You don't have to get paid to do this. You can just do simple acts of, of a friendship um, and loving your neighbor. Um, I took Nick to a baseball game and he said he hadn't been in like 40, 40 years and he loved going to the baseball games. And so, it's just me and this me and this ninety year old guy sitting in a in a in a seat together eating eating some popcorn. It was it was just a really good day, and I just think of that that day uh, very fondly. And I think that's kind of what loving your neighbor does is just the you are doing you are doing something. It's a little bit outside of your comfort zone, but the what you receive back is um, is often just um, you know tenfold to what you give.
4: Yeah. I think through that, that season, we did start to relearn what loving your neighbor could look like in different contexts. Um, and then when we moved here, I think we kind of had to relearn it again for us, Arizona, (laughs) nobody's picking your tomatoes here because there's walls (laughs) and, you know, people, our neighbors pull in their garage. Um, so we really never saw them. And I think it felt intimidating to figure out what is loving our neighbor look like here. And honestly, I mean, you know, now we both work in corporate environments. We're not in ministry anymore. Um, We're busy with our kids, and so loving our neighbor just doesn't come quite as naturally, maybe, because we're busy all the time. And so in our RC, um, we were talking about... loving your neighbor. And I think it was John and um, Josh, actually, that gave a challenge to our RC groups to intentionally, you know, love a neighbor and, you know, not with an agenda. And I think that's one of the other things that we've learned is that loving your neighbor doesn't necessarily have to have to have a measurable outcome. I think that's how I used to think about it. as like, oh, I've got to love people or I got to like see progress or fix things or make things better or, you know, and I think loving your neighbor is is something much more simple, but much more complex complex and that at the same time and something very, very beautiful. And so I think uh, we've also just really learned learned that as well. And so um, that challenge, I think, was just really timely. I think we'd been here in Arizona for maybe about a year after we moved from Pittsburgh and had already been kind of asking that question. So we just kind of prayed about God, you know, who do you want us to take that awkward step and reach out to as kind of a starting point? And somebody just came to Travis's mind and it was a family Actually, the parents of our daughter, Zion, is in middle school and one of her best friends. So it was their parents. And Travis just said, you know, I don't know. I just feel like God's really put them on my heart. And I was like, okay. Um, So we decided to invite them over for dinner. Again, kind of an awkward thing because we don't really know these people well. And I'm sure they were like, okay sure. Um, But you know, sometimes when you invite people over, I mean, even we'll try to get together with friends and it's so hard finding a time that works that we can get together. But it was so easy. I seriously called them on a Tuesday and um, we happened to be free on Friday night. And I said, hey, you know, this is probably not going to work, but we're free on Friday. And she was like, yeah, we're free. So they came over for dinner and um, they're vegan. So she was really concerned, like, oh, we'll bring our own food. And I was like, vegan, like I can cook. My family has a bajillion different weird food preferences. So vegan, I can definitely do. So we cooked a vegan dinner and we just sat down and it was one of those things where, you know, uh, five hours felt like five minutes. And by the end of that time, we just learned so much about them and their story. And they um, happened to be atheists. And we just really learned a lot about their spiritual journey, um, you know, growing up in the church and how they found themselves on um, where they are in terms of what they believe and some of their background. And one of the things that they shared with us that really stuck with me was when they were leaving, they just, said, this just meant so much to us because we can't remember the last time somebody invited us over not even for dinner, just period. Um, And these are like, they're both very successful people, very, you know, they know a lot of people, but I think um, just that invitation into someone else's world. And I think that can be intimidating sometimes too, and maybe even more intimidating for me in this suburban context of inviting someone I don't know into my world, into my home and making them food. There's something vulnerable about that. But I thought, wow, we take for granted the fact that, you know, we have these relationships and we're in community with. Other people, and not everybody has that. But I, I just really think that God put them on Travis's heart for a reason, and that this relationship was developed for a reason at that time. And not only a few weeks later, probably, uh, we found out that she just very unexpectedly was diagnosed with a very um, aggressive form of breast cancer. And within days, she was having a double mastectomy, going through this journey. They don't have any family here, and not people that just show up in their life. And so we just feel like. Um, um, God gave us that opportunity then to, sh- to show up. And I'm sure, again, they thought we were a little weird because we just started showing up. And uh, we showed up with food. We showed up with other things. We just showed up to say hi. Um, and um, our daughter, Zion, was a big part of that too. And I've been really proud of her. I don't know, I kind of learned from how she's loved them and their daughter well through this through this season. Um, and so, you know, even in the mess of the, you know, post-surgery things and just not being intimidated to see and, and to go through that doesn't mean it's easy, but it means it's really good. And I just find so much joy. There's just really fun people. Uh, So even in that difficult season, we've just had so much fun with them going out to eat, spending time together and talking about silly stuff. And so again, I don't know. uh, I don't think there's a measurable outcome that we're looking for in that relationship, but just loving them and walking with them shoulder to shoulder through this season that they're in now. And I just see God's hand through that whole thing. And I've learned so much from them and how they're courageously navigating the season and watching them love each other. Um, So there's just been so many good things out of that. And so I think, you know, one of the things that we've noticed too, is that, you know, if you ask God, he'll put people on your heart, he'll direct you to the people that he wants you to love. And then because he loves us, we can, you know, share that love with other people. And um, I I just think that that's so exciting that the opportunities, exist out there that we have the opportunity to share that love that god has so lavishly given to us so i think it's a continued learning process for us of learning how to love our neighbor wherever we are and i'm sure in another season it'll look different but just being open to that you know has been been it's been a very great journey and hopefully one that we're modeling for our for our kids
0: Fantastic. Well, once again, amazing stories. Thank you to the shanks and the gharials for sharing um, how God has imparted love in the places that they're at uh, and just their faith in living that out. Um, It's really great. So Mm -hmm. we've got one more week on our uh, Jonah series next week. One quick caveat is we do have one more week on Jonah. We're going to end it up, uh, end our podcast on Jonah next week. And then, and I mentioned this earlier in the month, we're going to be taking a summer break on our podcast and our blogs. So uh, we're gonna kind of let it breathe a little bit. We'll be doing the Philippians sermon series this summer, um, but there will not be a podcast or blogs to go along with that. We'll be preparing for uh, a big fall launch as we come back and study the book of Exodus. So we'll see you again next week. And then we will not, uh, you will not hear from us for a couple months, not until August. Thank you so much for listening. And we will hear from you guys again next week. Peace.
2: Thank you for listening to the Redemption Tempe
3: podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Our vision is to create disciples who seek reconciliation and restoration of Tempe. We are a multi-congregation church, and our service times at our Tempe location are 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 6 p.m. To learn more about us or to get plugged into the life of the church, by tapping the connect button on our app. We would love to hear any feedback or questions you have. Please send them to Tempe Podcast or RedemptionAZ.com.
4: Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week.